Bone Knowing, a true story of coming to life in the face of impending loss. Prologue, mid-October 1997. Things are slipping. The most obvious being my husband as he edges into another realm far from the one I live in. All too often lately, our newborn's diapers go unchanged, our toddler's teeth go unbrushed, and the bills go unpaid. I'm a month late for both the baby and my postnatal follow-up visits. I assume it's okay. She's hardy and I'm pretty sure my stitches will disintegrate on their own. Tom's scraggly hair is low priority and I figure anything beyond keeping his pain managed is frosting. Every time I go up to our bedroom, though, I can count on a ruse of guilt. It's bad enough that I haven't cleaned up his mismatched hairdo after the radiation bald spots have grown back, coarse and curly. But his facial hair doesn't seem to know he's dying, and it's taking over his fading face. He looks Christ-like, and I've convinced myself it's fitting since he's the closest thing to Jesus in my life. The calendar reads Monday. I imagine others beginning another predictable cycle, brewing coffee, reading the paper, heading off to work, while I'm caught in a holding pattern, waiting out an undetermined amount of time in grief limbo. Patience is not one of my strong suits, so I focus on the endless task in my head. Fill sippy cup, call pharmacy, dog, oh my god, feed the dog! When I check on Tom and the baby, they are asleep on the bed, nose to nose. Her chubby little hand lies inside his sunken palm. She looks like a mini Tom, eyes flaring up at the corners, dark curls and full cupid lips. For a moment I watch, taken by the beauty of two beings so close to the place we are born from and die to. Grease starts to knock from my insides. It's too big and I'm too busy. I bustle about, emptying the diaper pail and whisking up empty bottles of water when I hear his raspy whisper, Could you shave me? I stop, shocked that he's actually talking to me and not one of the many invisible characters visiting our bedroom lately. But he's looking right at me. I wait, wanting him to ask for me by name just one more time. Sorry, electric razor's broken. I'm afraid I'll cut you with the real kind, I say, turning away to pick up some soiled laundry. It's true, the razor jammed on me a week ago, and it made no sense to buy a new one, so I opted a beard for him on his deathbed. Fix it. He sounds exasperated. Taking a deep breath like he's preparing for a lap underwater, he says, Get the shave, kid. A small Phillips head. And a tissue. Bring it here. My pace is broken. Partly because I'm taken aback that he remembers the name of a tool when he hasn't called me by name for over a week and partly because his demanding tone is unfamiliar. <sighs> I huff heavily, dropping the laundry in empty bottles, and leave to retrieve the items of request. I'm not sure I want our last exchange to be spent fixing a damn razor, but he's insisted, and there's no arguing with a dying man. When I return and scatter everything out onto his side of the bed, he says, Take your time. As if we have time, I shout in the privacy of my mind while I search for scraps of anything to pick off the floor. Tissues that haven't made it to the trash, dust balls, anything to keep me from stopping. He waits for my shifting eyes to return to his. 
You can do this, he says with certainty. I'll walk you through it step by step. It isn't so bad. This time I hear him, and I'm transfixed, plucked out of a speed grind. These are the kind of words I've been struggling to be calm enough to say to him in his final hours, and he's saying them to me. It doesn't matter that it's over a razor, though I am curious to see where the shaving thing goes. Suddenly I'm aligned with him, caught up in his world entirely. In these moments, no baby cries, no toddler needs help, and no doorbell rings. I don't give God credit for stopping time. This is pure grace, something I've learned that tends to happen when hearts are in sync. Tom lays back into his pillow, watching me as I look inside the razor. Taking a breath between every few words, he speaks slowly, describing each tiny piece of the machine with accurate precision as he instructs me in its disassembly. It's as if he can see through my eyes. In front of me are about 20 parts all smaller than a dime, and it's a miracle I'm not the least bit intimidated. Pick up the smallest disc. Lay it on top of the tissue. That's good. Now, squeeze one drop of oil on it, he says. He goes on with each piece guiding me methodically. I give into each step being its own everything. I am reminded of how we used to climb hundreds of feet up on rocks to have the insignificances of our lives fall away, and now it's a razor. A steady hum responds to the flick of a switch, and I'm elated. It works! I really did it! Fixing things, especially small things that require focus and patience, has always been Tom's job. Now it's mine. Carefully and ever so slowly, I shave him, caressing his throat, rolling carefully over his chin, and gently plumbing the hollows of his cheeks until every bristle is mowed clear. When I finish, I kiss each of his eyelids. Tom smiles, his smooth skin stretches sharply over the underlying bones. Thank you, he says, fighting to hold his glossy eyes to mine. I don't wait for my name. It seems so irrelevant now. He knows me far beyond what I am called. Pangs of grief soften as I welcome each one into my heart, sensing that they, too, are children that need tending. And thank you, I whisper into his ear as I lay alongside and watch him drift off into other realms. He has shown me how to be with him until he's gone and how to be with this grief long after. I only hope I can remember. This has been read to you by the author, Jennifer Allen. Copyright 2009.